It's been a great, great, great life, great life. Because you never know who's coming through that door next, never know. It could be an astronaut, a movie star, or even a president. From County Sligo, Ireland to the Big Apple, Jimmy Neary embodies the great American dream. I sat down with him inside his traditional Irish restaurant, Neary's, located in the Turtle Bay area of Manhattan. Restaurants in the city come and go, but Neary's has been around for more than five decades. Despite his five foot five stature, Jimmy's big personality keeps customers coming in. As we sipped tea and listened to classical Irish music, Mr. Neary told me his story and his keys to success. Hi, I'm Julia Sebold, and this is Cityscape. Today we hear how hard work and a little luck can score you a spot at the end of the rainbow. I mean, 57th Street. Starting from the beginning, here is his story. My name is Jimmy Neary. I was born in, in Cairn Tubber, Tubber Curry, County Sligo. And uh, I was one of six children, the second youngest. My dad was a policeman, but he died young. He was an RIC man during the troubled times in Ireland. And my mother owned a small little farm. And uh, she was at Mass on a Sunday morning in my home parish. And she saw this, my dad was tall, so she saw this very distinguished looking man at Mass a few Sundays in a row. And she said to a neighbor, do you know this fine looking man there? He says, I know him very well, and I know his family very well. And you're a great catch because you got a little farm, and he's a great catch because he's an RIC man. They dated, I don't know how they dated, but in, they got married in 1923. And then my eldest brother was born, and he was a right Reverend Monsignor, and he's Vicar General of the Diocese of Monterey in California. My second eldest brother worked in a store that I worked for in Ireland for Mr. Eddie Gallagher, but he left there, and he came out here, and like myself, he got drafted into the Army. When he came back, he was back two years, he joined the police department. My other brother was uh, in the business also, and when my dad died, he was working in another town called Balladreen in County Roscommon, and Mr. McDonough, who was our school teacher, owned this uh, big grocery store and bar and a lot of other things with it. And I went back home from here in 1960, and he said to me, if you would help your brother out, I am retiring as a teacher, and I'm also retiring as owner of this business here in Tubbercurry, and I want nobody else to have it, only your brother if you could help him out. So we helped him out, and he got it. My other brother, next, he ran the farm. We were born, I think, on 24 acres. He wound up with about 75 acres or something like that. Actually, I worked for uh, Eddie Gallagher as a, in the drapery store, and I got 30 shillings a month, which was equal to about a quarter a day for three years. But he had a beautiful lounge bar, and that's all I wanted to get into, because the drapery was boring, but the bar was lively. And it was a beautiful lounge bar, so eventually I got in there, and I worked there until 1954. And uh, I, I had my own lambs. I won eight pound or seven or eight pound in a game of poker. I cleaned out a couple of guys. Mark a day, next day in Tubbercurry, I bought two lambs. And the next year, I had four young baby lambs. So I worked up to a total of 14 lambs, and I sold them on the August uh, market in, in Tower Curry. 
I went going home to give the money to my mother. There was a lady visited my mother. She went to school with my mother, grammar school, because that's all any of us ever wanted back then. She was home visiting my mother. And she said to me, would you like to go to America? I says, I would love to go to America. She says, I will sponsor you. I went back into work, forgot all about her, but she didn't forget me. And I gave the money to my mother. I got 196 pounds for the lambs. The money that I got for the lambs paid my way on the ship, liner, to the United States, and I had $97 when I got to America. So why did you choose to come to America? What did, what did this area offer for you? Actually, I had no intention of coming. So because back then you, you had to have a sponsor. If you didn't have a sponsor, you couldn't come here. So this woman sponsored me and she took a shot at it. That's why I'm here. Was your plan to open up a restaurant as soon as you came? No. The first job I went to, guy <laughs> looking for a job, the guy was so big, it was in a warehouse. And he stubbed me up against a crate. To this day, I will never know what was in it because I wasn't in there long enough to find out. He told me I was too small to work there. And that was the end of that job. And I went into a coffee shop on 231st Street and Broadway. There was a young man from home beside where I came from in Ireland. And I told him what happened to me. He said, go down and see Maureen Mulcahy at the Irish Institute on West 48. So I went down to see her. She was talking for about 10 minutes. She says, I, I'll have you working next Monday. I said, the last place I was told get lost because of my height. She says, where I am sending you, they'll never say that to you. She sent me up to the New York Athletic Club. So I met this guy, Mr. Walsh. He was the head porter there. He didn't ask me where I came from. He didn't ask me my name. He says, let me show you where you were going to be working next Monday. I thought that was nice. I got a job as a porter at the swimming pool. And I worked there. I was going to work from 7 in the morning, 2 in the afternoon, 6 days a week for $27. Same as everybody else at that time. And he says, I want you to meet the gentleman that's retiring here after 27 years. He calls this guy Jose. I never heard the name Jose in my life. So any Jose comes out, and I'm telling you a word of a lie. He wasn't five foot. He wasn't up to my shoulder, and I wasn't tall. And Mr. Walsh says to me, you are the tallest guy getting this job in 27 years. And that started me on my way in America. So what inspired you to open up Neri's restaurant? Well, actually, I had no intention. I, I was a bartender with him total I was with him for a total of 13 years but in between when I was I worked uh, in the ESC from 7 to 2 and then I worked him as a uh, bar boy and for the two jobs I got $51 and nine months later I had my first weekend off I was up in East Durham they called it the Irish Alps you have the Irish Alps the Jewish Alps and the Italian Alps up there because nobody could afford to go back to Ireland that and you had no money to go back so that was like going back to Ireland, because they were all Irish up there, right? And I um, went up there on a Friday, came back for dinner on Saturday night. Mrs. Tarpey, who owned a small hotel up there, she said to me, your brother called. I said, for what? She said, next Thursday you got to go down to Whitehall Street. And when I heard Whitehall Street, I knew I was getting drafted into the army. Thank God it was small, because I got into the tank. I didn't have to carry a big rifle, and I didn't have to carry a big 100-pound sack on my back. So I was in the tanks. I spent two years in the tanks. I went from Texas after a year to Germany. I spent a year in Germany, and then I came back home on a vacation to Ireland. When I was in Germany, I came home for 10 days. 
and then back to America, and then back to the same two jobs. So after the military, when did this all come in? When did the restaurant begin? I, I worked with PJ until 1967, and Brian Mulligan, another short guy like myself, right? We were the two smallest bartenders in New York at the time. And anyhow, uh, I had gone home to Ireland to bury my mother on January 20th, 1967. And I came back and I brought back sausages and bacon and black pudding and white pudding, which you could bring then, but you can't bring it now. So I brought that back. And uh, I just got married a few months before. And Brian Mulligan was in the church when I was there with his wife. So Eileen cooked breakfast for her. He had the New York Times. I used to read the Daily News, but then you hear the New York Times. And we were looking at it, and we saw this place. And that was on Sunday. And on Monday, we met the gentleman on the corner here at 7 o'clock. Took a look at the place, put $500 down, and bought it. The place cost us uh, 30000 altogether, but we had a total of uh, five years to pay it off. So we paid it off. Was it difficult at first when you started? Did you have a passion for cooking or? I don't, I couldn't even fry a hamburger or make a hamburger when I can cook, and he couldn't either. But we, actually, we got a lovely Italian gentleman. I don't know how we got him. I forget now how we got him. But anyhow, he was very, very good, and uh, he said to us when he came in, he, he called his wife, and he says, I'm going to work for these two Irish guys. And she says, the Irish don't like the Italians, and the Italians don't like the Irish, so I don't know if you'll get on. Well, he says, I am going to work for this gentleman. So he worked, and he says, till you get on your feet. He says, I will do the porter work, and I'll do the cooking. And he was a great cook. And he worked with me for two years. Brian worked the day shift. I worked the night shift. So we did that for a couple of years. And uh, a Greek chap, he was, it was a restaurant across the street here. And he was a chef there, but not number one. And he came in, and he says, could you give me a job for a couple of days? I need a couple of extra days. So I brought him in and introduced him to Tony in the kitchen. And Tony came out. After he was in there for about four hours, he says, give me two days a week. Give this guy five days a week or six days a week if he wants to work it. Because he says he is fabulous. Don't let him go. So we hired Chris. And Chris worked here for, I think, about 13 or 14 years. And there was a chapter worth the two days that Chris was off. And then he became the chef. Because he was great. Another Greek guy. And we had him, we had the two of them for a total, I think, of uh, close to 40 years. And um, Chris retired then, and we got Gus, who's here ever since. So have most of your employees been around for a long time? Actually, the, he's, he's here 10 years. He's the newest guy in that kitchen. The man now that's a dishwasher in there is in there 28 years. And the guy that comes in this afternoon is here almost 29 years. So they're in there forever. Did you ever expect to be this successful when you first opened up the restaurant? Not the way it turned out. But I tell you what, we had a dress code from the beginning. When I worked at Moriarty's, he had a dress code. So you couldn't come in in sneakers or blue jeans or slacks or T-shirts. So I came and I did the same thing here. And in this area, you know, this area is the wealthiest, wealthiest area in the world, actually. 
when I opened it, they did a couple of articles about fabulous 57th Street. That's what was known back, this is in the 60s and 70s. It was known as fabulous 57th. And about 20, 15, 20 years later, it became Millionaire's Row. And in the last 10 years, it's now known as Billionaire Boulevard. And it's very funny. I, owned, I bought this building in uh, 1986. And it's the only privately owned building on 57th Street between here and 8th Avenue. And my cousin owns the only other private building on 57th Street. So two cousins own the only two private buildings on 57th Street. Do you think if you were to open up a restaurant or a building like this now, the prices and everything would be a lot different? Would you struggle a lot more to make ends meet and find the funding? Oh, I wouldn't dream of it. I wouldn't dream of it. Because, first of all, if you're successful, and say you get a five-year lease, they'll only give you a five-year lease now. And if you get a five-year lease, after a five-year lease and you're successful, the rates are in so high as you couldn't afford to pay it. So you've got to be very, very careful. So at Neri's Restaurant, how does your family help you? <laughs> Actually, um, Patrick was the first one in here when he was in uh, high school. He would come in and he'd work in the check room on a Friday and Saturday night. And a year following, Una, she came in here and she'd work two nights. Emery would come every now and again, but Eileen had no interest whatsoever in it. She'd rather make $10 or $12 a night babysitting because she wanted to be with babies, right? And uh, she wouldn't bother with it. So anyhow, um, then we got a steady person in the check room. But they'd be off on Friday or Saturday, so Una would be working here on Friday Saturday and Marie. Do you ever get in arguments working amongst your children, or do you have great relationships? No, I have a great relationship. No, thank God. No, where's Asher? Gone all the time. Anyway, <laughs> they have no time to fight with me. <laughs> and if they come to fight with me, they'd have to come in here and do it here. So, I, actually, I had a great wife. I was married for 40 years when I passed away. And I often said to her, how did she ever put up with me for 40 years? She's because you were never home to make cause any trouble here. <laughs> How instrumental was your wife in helping Neri's become so successful? Well, she did the book work for me. Because she stayed home with the, with the children. She stayed home with them all her life. She took care of all that. She drove them to basketball games and football games and baseball games. Everywhere they went, she was like a chauffeur. And I'll tell you what we did. Uh, when they were in grammar school and high school, they'd be home by 3 o'clock or 3.30. I would leave here two or three days a week and I'd drive over the George Washington Bridge and we'd meet in a diner or a coffee shop or something like that, I'd have a bite to eat, and then I'd come back in here and I'd go home at 12 o'clock at night. It'd be all sound asleep. Would you like your family to carry on the legacy of Neary's? And if you would, how would you expect them to do that? Oh, there's no question about it. We know who's going to do that. That's Una. My daughter Una, she lives and dies this place. Any chance she gets, she was in here, hostess, and last night, she loves it. And Marie likes it, but the other two have no time. They don't want the hours. If you don't want the hours, don't be in it. So how does Neary's Restaurant keep in touch with your Irish heritage? All my staff. Most of them are all from Ireland. 
and the girls on the floor most of them are all from Ireland, so they've been here forever. Mary here now is the newest of my regular staff. She's here 40 years, Noreen is here 50 years, and Liz is here going on 52 years. Have your customers made relationships with the employees here as well, through their Irish heritage? Absolutely. My staff grew up with them, and they grew up with us here. So I have customers that come in here that I knew when I was in Moriarty's in the 50s. And then we had a lot of customers that from the neighborhood. We still have a huge neighborhood clientele, right? And their families came here, their parents came here, now their children are coming here, and their grandchildren are coming here. So we got three generations, sometimes four generations here. Do you host any Irish events or St. Patrick's Day? What kind of celebrations do you have? Well, of course, St. Patrick's Day, I opened on St. Patrick's Day, 1967. And it is crazy, it's busy, but as I say, everybody is dressed. If you're not dressed, you're not coming in. So that uh, makes it much easier. And actually, in the 50 years, 52 years that I'm here, I don't think we ever had an argument. Because people, uh, they know their place, they know the rules, and they abide by them. What is the craziest story that you've had since opening up Neary's? What has surprised you the most about this business? The first person to come in there was uh, Congressman Kerry at the time. And uh, he was a congressman in Washington. And uh, he was in Brooklyn, and he came here, and then a lot of his friends came here with them. And uh, the next one that came in, I, Brian was working the day shift, and I, was work, I came in at 6 o'clock. I knew, this was about, I was here about 12 months at the time, I knew there was somebody here because I heard them saying at the bar when I was walking by, there was kind of a hush. He doesn't know who's here. So anyhow, I went straight in the kitchen because whoever it was was over in that corner there and I couldn't see him, right? So I went straight into the kitchen and I looked out to that lass in the kitchen and I see John Glenn. Do you know who John Glenn is? The first man to orbit the earth. And I said to myself, well, if we're not here for six months more, I said, at least while we're here, we had the first man to orbit the earth. He came in and then, actually, our customers brought in different people all down through the earth, everybody. Uh, I would say the most powerful man that was in since that was about four years ago on New Year's Eve. And I had the door, I locked the door on New Year's Eve and I locked it on St. Patrick's Day. So, anyhow, locked out and looking in the window, President Clinton, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, Commissioner Kelly, his wife, and Mayor Bloomberg, and Diane. So Una was on the phone, and I said, Una, get off the phone. What's wrong with you, Dad? I said, I told her who was outside looking in the window. So I went up and I opened the door. Madam Secretary, Mr. President, I brought the six of them in, and I had two tables over there on the side. I squeezed the six of them in. There was only room for four, but I squeezed the six of them in. But they didn't care. It was St. Patrick's Night, right? New Year's Eve, I mean. So anyway, I slipped them in there. 12.30. 12 more come to join. I have no tables. All of my customers, whether they were eating, finished, waiting for their dinner to come out, every one of them got up and they were here at 4 o'clock in the morning. How have you maintained relationships with customers like that? Do you have a continuous clientele of people that, your, your regular customers that will keep coming in? Oh, yeah. I, I, as you say, I, I would say 
60, 65% of my clients, 70% are regulars, because they, they all walk here. They all walk up from a certain place, they walk in across the street, just make any what the difference is, uh, the weather is like. They don't have to get a taxi to come here, and they don't have to get a taxi to go home. All they need is, if it's raining, all they need is an umbrella, and after they come in and have dinner, I have, I have customers that come here seven days a week. It's their home. Men, women, women that are widows that came here with their husbands, that can come in here and feel comfortable. Some of them I've gone out after to bring them back in. Because I, I received them on the street, I says, where are, you, where are you? Why are you not coming? So I just says, all right, you're not coming tonight, but I'll be down at that door waiting for you tomorrow night at 6 o'clock and bring you up here. All they want to do is somebody to get them to break the ice and they'll come back. So if I was to go out on the street after a customer had dinner or lunch yeah. here and to interview a customer that just had their meal, yes. what would you want someone to think about Neary's Restaurant? What would you want someone to say at the end of it? I will tell you. Actually, they believe it's their own private club on 57th Street. That's how they feel because they're so at home. They know everybody knows everybody here. This, they might talk to each other, but they, they, they certainly recognize each other because they're, all, they're here every night of the week. It's like a private, it's their own private club here on 57th Street. On the weekends, they go to the Hamptons or to, down the Jersey Shore. Wonderful Friday, they're here. So, from the start with this restaurant, did you face any challenges as an immigrant from Ireland that maybe someone else would not have faced when you were in the works of making everything happen? No, I never had that problem. Not at all. Because, first of all, I love the land. But I love America. And uh, I wouldn't swap my life for all... Th- I've been offered a lot of money for this property. I don't want it. And um, uh, big, big Wall Street firm... The last time they were here was in just November of 19... No, no, 2016. They'd been here in February. They'd been here in May. They'd been here in September. And they said to me, Will you ever give us a straight answer? I said, I'll give you a straight answer when you ask the right question. They said, when are you going to retire? Now, I says, if you ask me that question, when you came in here last February, you're getting the same answer right now. I says, when I'm in the wooden overcoat, I wouldn't give up my life for all the money in the world. I would not. So do you mind me asking how old you are? What day is today? Today is uh, Monday, right? Next Friday, I'll be double eight. So I'll be 88. How do you stay so motivated and so positive and so spirited? Well, first of all, I love being amongst people. That's the main thing. I love being with people. That's my life. Money doesn't mean a thing to me. I could walk away wealthy. I don't want the money. What would I do? Play golf? No way. I belong to a beautiful country club out there in Jersey, in Knickerbocker Country Club. I haven't been in it. I haven't played three rounds of golf there in five years and it's only six minutes from me I'd love to be here I'm here from every day from roughly 11 o'clock in the morning until 11 I went home at 12 o'clock last night I do that seven days a week so what is your daily routine from the moment you wake up until you go to sleep oh that that's very interesting my dear (laughs) I tell you what to do I wake up every morning five to six I turn on TV I watch Fox News six to seven Animal Planet, 7 to 8. Scouring in America, like with the Smithsonian, 8 to 9. Shower, shave, 
I go to Mass every day. I'm a daily community. I go to Mass every day. On the way to Mass, I pass the graveyard where Eileen's buried. I'm going to say Hail Mary to Eileen. I go to Mass. Then I go out and I get the paper and I read the headlines. I don't read too much news. So I, what I do is I read the first paragraph and the last paragraph in the paper. Because generally there's nothing in between. So if there's nothing the first or the last, there's nothing in the article. And then I come in here, I'm here between 11 and 12 every day. And I go home then anywhere. Like last night I went left here at 12.30, I think. With this daily routine that you've had, yes. what elements have you changed through the years? Of course you've been through multiple jobs and multiple parts of your life, but what is something that has always remained very close to you and something that has always remained part of your routine from the very start? Being as close as I can to my family. And when they're not here, they're either calling me or I'm calling them. And especially since I passed away. I passed away over 10 years ago. Do you have any family left in Ireland or any connections to Ireland? Do you visit there often? As a matter of fact, I just came back. Uh, Una lied to me. She said, Dad, I'm going to take you to Ireland. So I normally go for three days. I used to get out. All my family's gone, my own immediate family. So I used to get off at Shannon. I'd drive up to Sligo to where I was born. I'd spend one night there. Then Eileen was from County Mead. I spent one night there in her family's house. And then I go to my sister in Dublin, spend one night there and come back the next day. Leave work and come back to work. Oh, I'll tell you a good one. This happened in uh, 2007 at uh, 7 o'clock, 6.30, quite 7. Uh, two detectives from Mir Bruno's office came by and said, let's go for a ride. Get in the car. Oh, no, a city hall. I know where I'm going hit the lights on the car, turn on the sirens over the 59th Street Bridge, out to LaGuardia, into the private airport, landed at Knock Airport in Ireland at 6 o'clock on Tuesday morning. He went over to unveil the monument to General Corkin, who was from Stigo in the War of Independence, at Battle of Gettysburg. He unveiled the monument, surprised me. We had 12 motorcycle cops, three two police, three police cars, and a little minivan, there was nine of us, and went to the village I was born in, with the mayor of New York, the 15th wealthiest man in the world, mayor of New York City, on his private jet. We landed at six o'clock on Tuesday morning. We did all we had to do, and I was back in this door at four o'clock on Tuesday afternoon, nine hours in Ireland. I left work Monday night, and I was back to work Tuesday night. Would you say that's one of your keys to success? You always are at work, you're always here and always present for everyone? Uh, I think it is, yes. Because uh, customers bring in people who want to bring them to meet me. And I tell you who is a great friend of mine on television, Kathy Gifford. I've been on the show with her on Regis, I've been on with her on Hoda. She's fabulous for what she's done for me. And I don't know, if, did you see the documentary on my life? <laughs> I was going to ask about that. Would you ever have expected that you would be here? Would you ever have expected to have celebrity friends and be featured in documentaries and on the radio? Well, you know, it's funny. When I worked in the New York Athletic Club, I was at the swimming pool. Everybody, that anybody, is a member there. 
So I met them from the first day. And when I worked in P.J. Moriarty's, he had all that celebrities. I met them there. And I've been meeting them here since I opened. So it's been a great, great, great life, great life. Because you never know who's coming through that door next. Never know. I will tell you, I love America. I love serving America. I love serving people from America. And I have people come in from, I would say, every continent. Five years ago, six years ago, on the 4th of July, it's a very quiet day, and I had 20 people in here. I had them from five different continents. I had them from Europe. There were an Italian couple came in here. I had two from Japan. I had two from Australia. I had two from New Zealand. And, of course, people from the United States. Five different continents, and I had only 20 people in the place. No, there's no place else on earth would ever could say that. Yeah. So you would say Neri's is welcome to everyone? Yes, absolutely. As long as you're dressed, as long as you're dressed, come right in, we look after you. So my last question for you, Mr. Yes. Neri, is what is your favorite item on the menu? My favorite item on the menu? I'm not that big a meat here. I love fish. I love salmon. I love trout. I'll take salmon. All right, thank you very much. It was great to meet you. My delight meeting you too, Julia. My delight. Lovely to have you. Jimmy Neary owns Neary's Restaurant in Manhattan. It's been around for more than 50 years. That's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm Julia Sebo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>